Hello, and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you, and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk. You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. First and foremost, I want to thank God and thank the leadership of the church. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Elders, for the privilege and opportunity to share with us. I'm going to be reading from Zechariah chapter 4. The word that the Lord has given us for this month is from Zechariah chapter 4. I want to take us back to that passage. And we're going to read it and do a bit of unpacking from it. But I want you to prepare your heart to minister to yourself and to minister to those around you. There's going to be at some point as the Spirit leads that we're going to encourage one another, prophesy over one another, and speak whatever it is that God is giving you, laying on your heart for the sake of your brother or your sister that is standing or sitting next to you. Amen. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to jump towards around verse 10, but I want us to actually see the whole chapter, and then later on I would put it in context for us to see. It says, and the angel who talked with me came again and awakened me, like a man who is wakened out of his sleep. This is prophet Zechariah speaking. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with its bowl for oil on the top of the lampstand, and it's seven lamps on it. And there are seven pipes to each of the seven lamps, which are upon the top of it. That's three. And there are two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side of it, feeding it continuously with oil. As for says, so I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Verse six says, then he said to me, this addition of the bowl to the candlestick, causing it to yield the ceaseless supply of oil from the olive trees, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might. Say after me, say, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 7 says, for who are you, O great mountain of human obstacles? I'm reading from the Amplified Classic. For who are you, O great mountain of human obstacles before Zerubbabel, who with Joshua had led the return of the exiles from Babylon and was undertaking the rebuilding of the temple before him? Who are you? You shall become a plain, a mere mole eel, and he shall bring forth the finishing gabble stone of the new temple with loud shoutings of the people crying grace, grace to it. Verse 8. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel had laid, have laid the foundations of this house and his hands shall also finish it. Then you shall know, you shall recognize, you shall understand that the Lord of hosts has sent me as his messenger to you. Verse 10. Who with reason despises this, the day of small things? That's a rhetorical question. 
For these seven shall rejoice when they see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel, and these seven are the heights of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Verse 11, then I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these two olive trees on the right side of the lampstand and on the left side of it? And he says, these are the two sons of Hoyle who stand before the Lord of the whole earth as his anointed instrument. Speak to us, O God, and let your word be blessed in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. We continue our series on breaking barriers, and today I've titled this third part of it, hashtag I am anointed. Say to your neighbor, I am anointed. It's a statement of confidence. You are not just reciting it. So say it like someone that is confident. I am anointed. That's good. I am anointed. I am anointed. Let's give a bit of background to what's going on in where we read. I mean, many of us don't, I don't know, maybe I should not generalize, but I for one, the minor prophets, as we call the last 12 books of the Old Testament, is not where you, uh, I am quick to sit down and say, I want to study um, I'll be fine reading almost any other part of the scriptures, but Bible says all scriptures are for edification. All scriptures are inspired by God. Um, and these minor prophets, as we call them, are not minor because what they are saying is not important. They call them minor prophets simply because the books are short. Um, so in this particular prophecy of Zechariah, by the way, Zechariah, Haggai, Ezra, all of those books were speaking about the same period of time. And sometimes for you to understand what you're reading in Zechariah, you might need to go to Agai. Or for you to understand the historical context of it, you might need to go back to Ezra. And then Nehemiah would come after all of that. So the Israelites, after the time of David, David handed over to Solomon. Solomon gave back to two sons amongst many. That, you know, it was when the kingdom divided over the sons. And so there was a northern kingdom, there was a southern kingdom, and both kingdoms eventually ended up in captivity, to cut the long story short. 70 years later, thereabouts, um, there was a king, a Babylonian king, that gave a decree that allowed the Jews to begin to return to Jerusalem and return to their land. And then about 50,000 Jews took on that um, responsibility or that privilege, that opportunity. Remember, these are people that are going back to a place that has been desolate, a place that has been burnt down, a place where to go is to go and walk, literally, is to go and start a new life, is to go and do a lot of rebuilding of structures and things like that. And so those 50,000 people are heroic in their own regards. And they are led by two people, Zerubbabel, that we read about in this passage, and Joshua. This is not, of course, definitely not the Joshua that you read about in the book of Joshua. This is another Joshua um, that was a priest. And the two of them came leading these Jews back to their land. And no sooner had they gone there than they began to do the restructuring. And one of the most important things to the Jewish people, of course, is God and a place to worship God. And so they decided, okay, let's go on and lay the foundation of the temple. And as they were laying the foundation of the temple, there was a bit of excitement, there was a bit of sorrow, and we're going to read about that shortly, that led eventually to that project. Just immediately after the foundation laying, they had to stay for almost 16 years. Nothing was done. The project was abandoned. 
the people were afraid. Find they are in the promised land again, but they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel free. And at that point, God raised two prophets, Agai and Zechariah, to begin to speak into that situation. And so what we read today is one of the many visions that Zechariah saw. And that was the context into which he was saying, speaking. But I want to take us back to Ezra chapter 3 for us to see what happened on the day that the foundation was laid when these new returnees, if you like, were beginning to rebuild. It says in verse 10, and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, those that were old enough to have seen what was there before, this temple that Solomon built, the majestic temple that Solomon built. Some say um, by tradition that, you know, when you build bricks like this and you have cement in between, it was gold that was in, that was in between every of those bricks that were put together. And that was why the temple was destroyed anyway in the first instance, because every gold needed to be taken. And so you have to pull down everything and take the gold that are hidden in between. And so it's, they saw that beautiful, majestic temple, which God also honored with his presence on the day it was dedicated. And now they saw this new foundation that is laid and they can tell that what's, what do you want to build out of this? It can be as majestic as, it's, as what was before. And of course, there are some people there that they did not see the old temple. They never saw the old temple. So they were excited anyways. We are doing something. We are moving forward. And so that was the beginning of the challenge. Some people were feeling a bit awkward about what was going on, why some were happy and rejoicing. And the Bible says they wept, those old men, they wept with a loud voice, even though many were shouting aloud for joy. So the people could not distinguish the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard from afar off. Next chapter, we begin to see how things then begin to deteriorate. I'm laying this foundation for us because I want you to start seeing, based on the context of what you are going through, and there's a slide that would help you to do this shortly, but I want you to start seeing yourself, seeing your business, seeing your call, seeing your ministry, seeing whatever it is that God has committed to your hands, seeing your family, in any of the aspects of this story that you may be able to relate with. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, 2, 4, and 6. When the residents of the former northern kingdom, who were enemies of the southern kingdom tribes of Judah and Benjamin, when they heard that these returned Jews had started building a temple to the God of Israel, they asked Zerubbabel and the tribal leaders if they could help. When your enemy starts asking, <laughs> volunteering to help you, you know that there is disaster. Of course, verse 3 says, they said, no, you can't help us. We don't need your help. You are not part of the people of the covenant. We don't want your help. And so those people then took it personal. And Bible says in verse 4, they began to intimidate the returning Jews from building the, the people of the land from building and then the people of the land made the returning exiles afraid to build they had connections at the top so they began to accuse these people that are building to the government because even though they have returned they are still under the empire the Persian empire 
And so the same king that had issued a decree that they should go banned the building project. So they could not go forward. They could not do anything because of very false accusations. Now let's begin to make the connection practically. Ask yourself about yourself as your personal life. Think about your business if you are an entrepreneur. Think about the ministry that God has given you. Think about your family, your kids. Think about the different dimensions of existence that you are occupying. And ask yourself, is there any abandoned project in your life right now? Any abandoned project in your, in your ministry? Any abandoned project in your family? Is there any opportunity that you have seen but that has also presented itself with serious opposition? Maybe right now you have some massive opportunities, but again, you can as well see that there are great oppositions to conquer. Paul said, where we, and part of what we read in, in Corinthians, that I've seen an opportunity here in Ephesus, but there are great adversaries. Is there something right now that looks impossible in your life, in your context, in the life of someone that is close to you? Is there any discouragement? You know, those young ones were excited at the laying of the foundation. The older ones were not as excited because they are just like, mm, let's go back to what used to be. And of course, you can't go back to what used to be. So we can as well just stay put. And those comments, those remarks, those weapons began to filter down into discouragement into those who are willing to do something. Is there any insufficiency to be realistic? The Temple of Solomon was built with so much wealth because, I mean, the guy commanded lots of wealth. And people were generous. They were given to the point where the Bible says they had to tell them, don't bring again. We had enough. But now there are just 50,000 people returning with little or nothing. They came with all they had, but all that they had is still insufficient to do what they needed to do. And maybe there is some project you want to embark on. You don't have the money. You don't, you don't feel like you're up to it. You have some insufficiency in your life. Then the word that God has given us for this month is indeed for you. Is there any generational disagreement? Something that those that are older than you, perhaps your parents are saying no, and you are saying yes. I was sharing yesterday with some people about the story of when my parents initially said no, when I told them I want to get married to the person I'm now married to. And that wasn't a, a pleasant season, looking back in retrospect, because of a generational <laughs> disagreement. Is there any accusation, Sister Misan? Thank you for that testimony. Um, I think the Holy Spirit is giving me permission to say this. While I was preparing this message, just overnight, actually. I saw myself standing before you about this point and speaking a word of prophecy over you to say, whatever accusation that has come that is bringing discouragement, forget about it. God is fighting your battle. I didn't know that it was actually a done deal. And of course, he that has begun that good work in you will perfect it. It will launch you forth into the next season. Um, it's a transition. It's a transition. It's an intertestamental kind of period. And the Lord will bring you into the fullness of all that he has promised you in the name of Jesus. Lastly, is there any problematic partnerships? You've been trying to make some partnerships, but it's just bringing more problems than answers. Because that's what part of what was happening here. Some enemies were volunteering their help in the name of 
friendship. They said, you know, we serve the same God. Uh, they said, no, <laughs> we don't serve the same God. Don't, don't come with that. You're not part of the covenant family. And so it's into that mix that God then raised Haggai and Zechariah. So Ezra chapter 5, for instance, says, but there were prophets in Jerusalem and Judah at that time. Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Udo, who brought messages from the God of Israel to Zerubbabel and to Jeshua or Joshua or Joshua, whichever way you want to pronounce it, encouraging them to begin building again. And so they did, and the prophets helped them. Say to your neighbor, it's time to build again. Okay, say to yourself first, it's time to build again. It's time, it's time, it's time to build again. And that's what leads us to this interesting, very weird um, imagery that the prophecy that um, Zechariah, or the vision that Zechariah had that was recorded in that, in that passage, two olive trees that are feeding a continuous supply of oil into a big bowl that is then feeding the candlesticks. The candlesticks is significant and important in the temple for the Jewish people. Um, but they had to manually change the oil. Like part of the responsibilities of the Levites is to ensure that it, the light keeps burning, but it is their responsibility to go on and change it. But now the, the vision is insane. is such that there is a connection to the real source of the oil such that there is no breakage. Don't worry about any possibility for humans to forget. I remember there was one night that, um, I think it was push that we had, and I still spoke with pastor some few minutes before and said, yeah, I'll be logging in at so-and-so time. I even told my wife, you can go to sleep. I'll wake you up when it's 15 minutes to the time. I set an alarm and I slept off. <laughs> Like, I still knew when it was like five or 10 minutes to the time that I would stand up and get going. And the next thing I knew was when I woke up, they were running off. <laughs> That's human. And that can happen. But what if there is uh, an unlimited supply of the strength you need to keep awake and stay awake? In this case, an unlimited supply of oil. That is, that removes the possibility of human error or human weakness or human tiredness. And that's what the kind of picture uh, that Zechariah began to see. And I just want, as I drop, bring this message to a close, to point out about five barrier breakers, I call them, in Zechariah 4, in the passage that we read initially. Five tools, five hammers that you can use to break barriers, uh, having pointed out the different kinds of barriers that we've seen in that story. And the first is revelation. Revelation. Of course, everything that we've read in itself is a revelation. He said he was woken up as though, and then the angel, of course, if you read the book of Zechariah from the beginning, this is the fifth revelation that is having and speaking about, and five is the number of what? grace in biblical numerology. Um, five is significant, especially as it ties to grace. And there's a revelation in this case that is more or less a revelation of God's grace. We'll discover that when we read down, it says the story or the testimony will end when Zerubbabel puts the last stone, the, the stone that signifies that this temple is now complete. But it says he will do it with shouts of grace. 
grace to it. In fact, in the voice translation, it says the heavenly messenger, chapter 4, verse 1, the heavenly messenger who had been talking with me returned and steered me as if I had been asleep and says it's time for a fifth vision. Bible says in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, and we quote this quite often, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you, in the Amplified Bible, it says, and even show you great and mighty things, things which have been confined and hidden, which you do not know and understand and cannot distinguish. The fact is there are some things that you need to know that makes barrier breaking effortless or look effortless. There's nothing effortless about breaking barriers. But when grace comes into the picture, when you have revelation of what to do, it makes life easy. I was giving an example of, for instance, the story I was sharing about how my parents initially said no to the person I wanted to marry after I felt overwhelmingly convinced that this is the person God is telling me I want to marry. And that didn't start from me wanting that. It started from me actually hating that or not wanting that. If, I mean, you might not know what you want, but you know what you don't want. <laughs> that was how it started for me. And then God took me from, I think I know that I don't want this to a point of, I said, this is it. And I've embraced it. I've accepted it. I'm beginning to hope to enjoy it. And then one more ado to cross. But then part of the revelation that came at that point was God said, um, I should actually start asking him, who is this person that I want to get married to? And I bought a new journal and began to write as he begins to speak over a period of months. And the more I write, the more I'm like, how can I not get married to this person? Revelation, revelation, revelation. The second barrier breaker that I saw there is clarification, asking questions, asking questions. Zechariah chapter four, verse four. So I asked the angel, he had seen the vision which was weird, something he has not seen before. He has seen lampstand many times, but even the lampstands in Israel would have only just those seven branches. But now he's seen seven branches, each branch having seven pipes that are connected to some bowl, and the bowl is having some connection to some olive tree. It's weird. And then he did the wise thing to do. Sir, tell me, what does this mean? You know, pastor has said many times that many times when he sees the revelation, there will always be an interpreter that says, okay, this is what this means. This is what that means. And part of the privileges we have as God's children is the privilege to ask him questions, to clarify. And for some of us, the question is not even necessarily going to be a question directed to God. It will be a question directed to Google or a question directed to your friend, a question directed to your wife. Of course, there are questions you will ask Google. Google will tell you, ask God. <laughs> By giving you all sorts of confusing, reasonable answers that you will know, okay, I think this is not helpful. Because, I mean, you can try asking Google, who should I marry? <laughs> and see what Google says. But the point is, what you don't know, you don't know. And sometimes information does not come in a way that is fully comprehensible at once. You just need to continue to tease out the knowledge, what God wants you to know. So God, what exactly are you saying? So back to my case study, as I was asking God those questions and he would lead me to a passage today and say, that's talking about your wife. And I'm beginning to want to know more and asking more and more questions. Some of those questions directed to her directly and just getting to know her more. 
getting to know what next the Lord wants to do. And the third point that I'm going to bring from that passage is confession. Confession in the sense of admitting what you don't know. Because you see, when he asks the angel, what does this mean? The angel asks him back, you mean you don't know what it means? At that point, you can take that question to mean you're supposed to know. And so you can start formulating. <laughs> I mean, we do this all the time. I'm, I'm remembering an instance just yesterday. I was having a conversation with someone and the person was saying something and asking me a question. And I took it to mean that he's saying you should know this. And so I started volunteering an answer that I know is not the answer, but the man was wise enough to then steer the conversation back to how it should be. An elderly man at that. And we do that with God sometimes, you see. He's trying to say one thing to us. We are trying to teach him <laughs> what he should know. Um, the, the, the event that Pastor Rachel was had uh, over the weekend, I was also there yesterday. And um, part of the message that came was with Peter in Acts chapter 10 and how God was showing him this revelation when he was going to lead him to Cornelius, the Gentile. And he saw this trance where there was all these animals that he, he has known that as a Jewish person is never supposed to eat. And God is saying, arise, kill and eat. But then he began to instruct God, ah, ah, no, you know that I can't eat this one. So who is wiser between you and the one that is asking you? <laughs> to rise and eat. God had to repeat the revelation three times before it begins to sink to him. And we do that sometimes. But I love 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16. It says, does anyone know the mind of the Lord well enough to become his advisor? But we, who are the we? The believers that Paul was writing to in Corinthians, and these are not perfect believers. We just finished a series on 1 Corinthians. We are going into 2 Corinthians, and part of the major subject of 2 Corinthians is discouragement, because Paul was genuinely discouraged. Having written 16 chapters, of course, there were no chapters in the original manuscript, but having written all those words and answered all those questions, you still mean that I still have to come and deal with all these other issues. That's what we are going into beginning this Thursday. So you are welcome to join us. Amen. But the point is, it then goes on to say to those imperfect people, that same church where someone was doing unthinkable things, that same church where people are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, it goes on to say to them, you have the mind of Christ. I like the way the Living Bible puts it. It says, strange as it seems, we Christians actually do have within us a portion of the very mind of Christ. Brilliant. Because it's strange. Who am I to have the mind of Christ? But we do have the mind of Christ. Repeat to yourself, I am anointed. I am anointed. The fourth thing I saw there then is submission. You can see the progression, revelation, clarification, and then confession. I don't know. And then the angel said, oh, you should know. He said, okay, you mean you don't know? Yes, I don't know. That's submission. I'm admitting that I really do not know. And then that led on to the beginning of the revelation, not by might, nor by power. In the voice translation, it says, your strength and your prowess will not be enough to finish my temple. In other words, now is the point to submit what you think you know, so that you can allow God to do what only he can do. And this is the point where we unnecessarily struggle. This is the point where we want to play God. This is the point where we are wondering, God, are you sure you know what you are doing? 
not by might, not by power. It's going to be by something else that will lead us to the last point. But it's forget your might, forget your power. For 16 years, your might and your power has not helped you. So let me help you. Let me do what only me can do. And again, the, the, week, the program went, went for this weekend. Um, this is a phrase that kept um, coming again and again, surrender and resurrender. Surrender and resurrender. Apparently, there's a new song by um, Il Song that is titled Resurrender. And um, I thought to share some of the lyrics of that with us. It says, you are turning over tables and calling for return. Of course, the you is God. To our lives upon the altar, the things we did at first. You are clearing out the temple. You are cleaning out the dirt. For we are your territory, Lord. We are your church. And then later down the, the, the song, it says, you see a holy nation, a flock to consecrate, a chosen generation, a people called to pray. So help us, God. Help us to please you where only you can see for every moment matters in eternity. And then it says, if you are calling, God, if you are calling, we are coming. We are not walking. We are running. God, we need resurrender. And so we resurrender. Because you might think I've surrendered before, but now God is asking you, will you surrender again? My time is fast spent and I'm wrapping up anyways. Let me also tie that to the example I was given. And so it came to a point in this journey of, I believe God said, my parents believe God does not said. And then the crossover service of that year, this was 2011, crossing over into 2012. I put my heart out in prayer and I was like, God, what's all this? You know the journey you've brought me on. You know this, you know that. And I kept complaining and complaining. And while I was doing that in tears, the Lord ministered to my heart and said, you know what? Will you be happy to do what I say you should do? And I felt like, yeah, sure. Um, why not? I said, okay, tomorrow, call your parents and tell them that you have agreed with them. You're not going to marry this lady. At that point, I was like, okay, where's this conversation going? <laughs> and then it says, ask them to tell you what is it that they've seen that is making them stand on their feet to say, you're not going to marry this person. And then you take that to me in prayer for the sake of the person she will eventually marry. Does that make any sense? It makes sense to us. It, doesn't make, it didn't make sense to me at the time. But I looked at it and I'm like, what? So invariably, the first thing he wanted me to do was to come to a point of saying, okay, yes, I'm not going to marry her. I surrender. The next day, I, I couldn't make that call until evening. And eventually, I called them and started like that and told them, okay, I, I'm, I've accepted with you. I will do what you said I should do. I'm not going to get married to her. But please, can I know what's the reason? I feel like God wants me to pray for the person she will eventually get married to so that whatever it is, it won't be an hindrance again. And when they saw that, they said, you know what, give us some time. Let's go back and pray about this. I gave them some time, came back in a week or so later and said, you know what, we believe she's the one for it. Just like that. Just like that. But it started from that point of, sorry, you can't, you can't imagine how excited I was the day they called to give that overwhelming assurance and nod, go for it. 
And of course, to date, every time they speak to her, they are like, we are glad we didn't miss this. <laughs> Amen. The last point, consecration. Or you could say anointing. Because that's actually where I'm going. Zechariah chapter 4, and that's where um, the Holy Spirit is drawing our attention to this morning. It says, we had said before, not by power, not by might. And then it goes on in the latter part of that. Now I'm quoting from the Living Bible. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, you will succeed because of my spirit. Though you are few and you are weak, therefore there is no mountain. This is where the word comes from for us. There is no mountain, however high, that can stand before. Now let's leave Zerubbabel out and start thinking about yourself so you can put your name there. There is no mountain, however high, that can stand before Joseph. But it will flatten out before him. And Zerubbabel, now Joseph, will finish building this project, doing this thing that I have started through him with mighty shouts of thanksgiving for God's mercy, mercy, declaring that all was done by grace alone, by grace alone, by grace alone. As I wrap up, I just thought to list out those points again. We're just going to take a confession after now, and I would urge us to just pray for a minute. First, speak to yourself, I mean, to God, and then if God is laying it on your heart to, to pray over your neighbor or the person, anybody around you, walk up to the person, pray for them in a couple of minutes. But again, by recap, it starts with the revelation. Ask God to show you something. And ask questions about what is showing you clarification. Admit whatever you need to admit. Admit your weaknesses. Admit your oversight. Admit your ignorance. And then surrender. Or as the case may be, re-surrender. And then remember that you are anointed. It's not going to be by power. It's not going to be by might. It's going to be by the anointing. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, it ends by saying that, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Some version says because of the fat or the fattening oil, fat. When you feed on God's word, because this oil that we're talking about is the oil of the spirit. John 6, 63, it says that, and this, this, the, the words and the spirit, it says they are spirit and life, the words that I speak unto you. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so to be anointed is to dwell richly in the word of God and have the word of God dwelling richly in you. It's the endless source that fl flows into that bowl that continues to refresh in you. That was what Zechariah was saying. The possibility to have the endless source, the fountain of life on our inside. Now we do as New Testament believers. Now we do on the other side of Jesus' finished work. And I want us to, to begin to just talk to God, actually. Start talking to God. Start praying. Maybe you're at the point of, I need to know something. Father, show me. Call unto me and I would answer you and I would show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Maybe you're at the point where you already know that God has actually been making a demand on an aspect of your life. Surrender it. Resurrender. Ask for grace to surrender. Maybe you're here and you know that all you just need is to ask for the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Not because you've been perfect or anything, but the mercy, the mercy, the mercy, the mercy of God. 
Let's just do that in 30 seconds. Talk to God. 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 The Holy Spirit is opening my eyes to see mantles falling. Mantles. Mantles. I, I take that to mean that God is imparting upon some of us a divine empowerment to do what he has called you to do. A divine empowerment. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by his spirit. I would say it's by the mantles of Paul. <laughs> Miracles were happening. People would take handkerchiefs to touch his body and go on with that handkerchief. And healings were happening. Why? Because it's touched something that is handless and ever so powerful. Now I can see that falling on us, resting upon us. A divine empowerment to do the miraculous in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. 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 As we bring our prayers to a close, of course, this doesn't end here. It can't end here. We don't have all the time, but you have all the time. And the Holy Spirit is always, always, always with you. So this continues in your car, on your way home, when you get to the house, all through the week, knowing that it's an hashtag, I am anointed week. You speak as an anointed one. You speak as someone that carries the ultimate anointing inside you. Christ means the anointed one with his anointing and he's residing inside you. You are residing in him. You live in the anointing and so you are perpetually anointed. So act, start acting like you know. Go into this week, into the rest of your journey with that confidence. Let's rise to our feet. We just take this confession and then we will be done. Just say it after me and say it with meaning in your heart. I have the unction of the Holy One. Therefore, I know all things. I am not in the dark. I am anointed for solutions. I stay connected to the vine. The word of Christ dwells in me richly. I am planted in the house of the Lord. And I flourish in the courts of my God. I am unstoppable. Now look to your neighbor and say it prophetically. You are unstoppable. You are unstoppable. And finally, can we say it together and say, we are unstoppable. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. We ask, oh God, that your spirit will bless it in our hearts and continue the work in us. Continue to unpack and unveil that which you're saying to each of us individually. Give us the grace to trap down these messages, to write down what we need to write down, to see what we need to see, and to record what we need to record, to obey and yield in the ways that we need to obey. And you, to you be all the glory and praise in Christ Jesus' unfailing name we've prayed. Amen, amen, and amen. Mm -hmm.